Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. One of the things we spent some time thinking about last week was the use of story and metaphor to help kind of turn the light bulb on in people's lives to, to see their sin. And so we closed by very quickly reading uh, the story of Nathan coming to David uh, in the time of David's sin and how Nathan used that story of the lamb uh, to really catch uh, David and help him see what his sin was. Of course, the Lord Jesus does this uh, all through his ministry. And uh, so that was kind of a fun thing for me to meditate on and think about last week was you know, what are some ways that you can use story or use um, word pictures, categories of life that people are familiar with uh, to help them see and understand what in the moment they're, they're blind to. So something to think about there too uh, as you continue to reflect on last week's lesson. All right, so tonight we get into uh, the first half of Do, and the title looks like Do I, uh, but it's Do One. Uh, do is just a funny title for anything, so as yeah, but that's what we do. So here we go. We've covered love, know, and speak, uh, and so this week we'll cover the first half. Next week will be our final week of the class, and we'll cover the second part. Uh, do I I uh, will be next week. So, <laughs> uh, he lays out a really nice review of the chapters that I wanted to point out to you. And if you want, while I go over that, if you turn to almost the last page of your book, there's this chart. Those of you who have the printed notes do not have that chart, Um, but uh, maybe you can look over the shoulder of somebody nearby. Uh, But that just kind of walks through the order of the book. And so you can track along on that chart as I review what we've learned so far. Lesson one, we learned that to be human is to need truth outside of ourselves in order to make sense out of life. We were created to need God's help. So the point is not to just prove it that we can do it on our own. The point is to lean on God's help. Lesson two, we learned that whatever rules the heart will exercise inescapable influence over life and behavior. So what's going on in our hearts is really important. Lesson three, we learned that we've been united with Christ and indwelled by the Holy Spirit so that we have the power to say no to the passions and desires of the sin nature. Uh, So there's hope for change. There's uh, a victorious one who lives in us and helps us to say no to sin. Lesson four, God has called us to be ambassadors, faithfully representing His message, methods, and character. And that's where we introduce the concept of love, know, speak, do. Lesson five, we must seek to build loving relationships in which the work of God can thrive. Uh, So that's that first part of love is just building deep relationships that go beyond just surface level stuff. Lesson six, God calls us to suffer so that we'll be qualified agents of His comfort and compassion. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter one and how when we go through suffering, God comforts us with His comfort so that we will be able to comfort others also. Lesson seven, we need to ask questions that move beyond the casual and help us to know uh, when a person needs ministry. So that was the first part of knowing others, asking good questions. Lesson eight, 
we then uh, categorize those, the, the information we receive, thinking biblically about their situation, relationships, thoughts, motives, and behavior. Lesson nine, we talked about confrontation being rooted in the comfort and call of the gospel. The comfort is the fact that God offers us forgiveness through the work of Christ on the cross. The call of the gospel is that because he died for us, we then should live for him, to say no to sin and to say yes to him. Lesson 10, last week, to confront means to lead people to consider, confess, commit, and change. Okay, so there's a brief review. All right, digging into tonight's lesson, the big concept is this, to help someone change, uh, I must have a biblical agenda for change that reflects biblical commands, principles, promises, and priorities. So personally, we must ask ourselves, what are God's goals for change in me as I face relationships and situations? This is not a question I ask of myself enough, right? I tend to sort of see my life and the goal is always sort of just settle into a comfortable status quo, right? Get comfortable with the way things are. Okay, it's working. We've got it. We're in a groove now. Things are going okay. We're not, I'm not asking myself enough, how is God seeking to change me today? And I really should be, because I know intellectually that I'm not 100% like Jesus. I'm a long ways from it. So that means all the time there are things that God wants to be changing in me. That's a great question to just always have a finger on. How is God wanting to change me right now? And am I leaning into His work in my life uh, on board with what He's doing in me? Related to others... This means that we're asking, how can I support this person in the process of change? And another way I like to phrase that is, I want to get on board with what it's clear God is doing in their lives. So often when we come to help people, we tend to have sort of a personal agenda. Um, there's something they've done that really offended us. There's something about their personality that really rubs us the wrong way. We really want to change those things. But it's far better for us to step back and say, okay, where is God seeking to change them right now? What, what's, how, how is God at work? And sometimes that will be, you know, what they're convicted of currently or how the word is speaking, the scriptures are speaking into their life at that moment. I want to get on board with what God is doing. We can get to my concern when God wants to get to that. <laughs> but what's far more important is what God is doing in their life. I want to get on board with that. And that's a much better way to frame that, that question as we work with people. So tonight's lesson begs the following question. See if you can relate to these. Have you ever made commitments that somehow got lost in life's frenetic pace? Have you ever not followed through on a commitment you made? I won't ask for testimonials here. Have you ever known that certain changes needed to take place, but you didn't know how to make those changes? Have you ever felt that the changes you needed to make in life are impossible? Maybe you've been in that scenario as well. You know what needs to change, what needs to happen, or at least what you want to happen, but you see no way to do it or not sure how to do it. This chapter teaches us how to carefully apply the truths we have learned, the personal insights we've gained, and the commitments we have made in situations and relationships of daily living. So the key word in tonight's lesson is not just do, but specifically apply. How do we begin to live 
in the ways that God has called us to live? How do we put into practice the things that God has called us to do? So four things are essential. Number one, as you work with people, establishing your personal ministry agenda. Now, we don't really like that term agenda. You know, you kind of want to go, as you minister to people, it sounds like it's a bad thing. Well, I've got an agenda here. But the bottom line is there's always an agenda, right? So the key is whose agenda is it? And is it God's agenda? Like I said at the beginning, have I stepped back to consider what's God at work seeking to do in their life? I want to be on board with that. That's my agenda, (laughs) To, to, to just assist as this person seeks to obey the Lord. Uh, So establishing the agenda, clarifying responsibility. This one's especially helpful. We'll dig into this one tonight. Uh, But being clear, what things in this situation are God's responsibility and what things in this situation are my responsibility? Because a lot of trouble in life comes when we reverse those two things. I worry about things that are out of my control and I stop doing the things that are my responsibility. And so that's a really helpful one to catch. Number three, instilling our identity in Christ. And we'll get to that. Uh, That'll be part of next week's lesson. Uh, But basically, it's a reminder of how important it is that we know who we are in Christ. That's the foundation for applying biblical truth. It starts there with who Christ has made us through the gospel. And then finally, providing accountability. As we seek to help people change, accountability is just a, a practical, beneficial thing and we all benefit from it. So uh, again, that, those last two will be a part of next week's lesson. All right, so let's start with number one, establishing personal ministry agenda. It's hard to lead a person to change if we aren't sure where we should be going, right? How do I encourage somebody like, hey, here's, here's what we need to do. Here's how we need to change. Here are some steps we can take if I'm not really sure where it's going. And so that's why spending some time in thought and in prayer to consider where are we really headed here becomes important. An agenda is simply a plan for accomplishing a goal. So we're just thinking through what's the goal? What do I want to see this person achieve or or better? What do I think God is doing in this person's life? How can we help them get there? Okay. A plan to help us reach a goal. Because our goal is more than just denouncing sin, right? The point is not just to say, oh yeah, that's wrong, I shouldn't have done that. The point is to learn to not do it again, right? So we're not just recognizing sin, we want to change as well. Because it's more than just denouncing sin, and because we really want to be God's instruments of change, it's vital to know where we're going and what we need to do to get there. When we don't spend time thinking about this, when we don't spend time planning and preparing for this application step, uh, what we offer them is just kind of our immediate response. And that tends to be filled with personal bias or a lack of understanding of what they're going through or what their struggles are. Uh, Sometimes poor theology, I haven't thought through it well from God's view of things a misunderstanding of Scripture, even fear of man. And when I respond in the moment, it's a lot easier to respond in in a way that I think they'll want me to respond as opposed to being thoughtful about what I think God wants them to hear in this moment. So thinking these things through with the Lord in advance, prepare us to better help this person. And that's why having a plan, having an agenda is beneficial. 
Um, so there are three agenda-setting questions that he recommends to consider. Number one, what does the Bible say about the information that has been gathered? You remember that grid uh, we used back in chapter 8, I think it was. There are situations and thoughts and responses and motives, right? So kind of digging all the way from the outward things all the way down into the heart, the motives. And as we categorize that information, it's helpful then to attach biblical truth to what this person is facing and going through. What does the Bible say about the information that we've, been ga- that we've gathered? One of the great struggles in life is that if we're not constantly resetting our minds with the truth of Scripture, is that we drift into lies. It just happens. Um, you know, it's not like we intentionally decided, I'm going to believe a lie, but this is just what happens in life. We drift into lies, misconceptions about life, and the raw clarity of Scripture helps to call our attention back to, oh, that's not actually true. I was sort of thinking that God was very unkind in what happened here, but it's pretty clear in the Word, God is kind. So, I'm wrong, He's right, and we reset our thinking and adapt to the situation. So what does the Bible have to say about it? Number two, what are God's goals for change for this person in this situation? Here we could look at passages like Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Um, you have not so learned Christ uh, that you put off the old man, which has grown corrupt, uh, and put on the new man, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. So Uh, what specifically does God want to change here? What old ways need to be set aside and what new ways, Christ-like ways, need to be adopted? What are God's goals? And here's where we, again, guard ourselves from making this about our agenda for this person. Oh, I really want to see him grow in this way. Well, who cares what I want? What's the Lord want for them? How does he want them to become more like Christ in this situation? Finally then, what are the biblical methods for accomplishing God's goals for change? This is the how of the change process. What does Scripture have to say about the ways they can make steps of growth and change? Often, people will have a sense of what is wrong, but the way they seek to correct it complicates it further. He has a helpful illustration here that I wanted to read to you. Let's say that you're ministering to a husband who confesses that he has not encouraged his wife as he should. It would not be biblical to advise him to bombard his wife with flattering words that are insincere, nor would you advise a family in debt to have the husband work 90 hours a week. Biblical change is not only about the what, it must include the how. So the way we fix the problems also need to be biblical. They need to be pleasing to the Lord the way we go about it as well. Uh, And this is where the scriptures often surprise us. Uh, Think about it. Our gut reaction tends not to be biblical, right? Maybe if we've studied and and grown and spent a lot of time with the Lord, Lord willing, over time, our immediate reactions to things will be more and more biblical, but that's not natural to us. And so... It's often that we come back to Scripture and study these things that we are surprised. So, for instance, uh, a neighbor is mistreating us, right? They're just doing things that are wrong. 
it tends not to be our first reaction to start thinking of ways we can do good to our neighbor. And yet, if we were to pause and look at Scripture and think, okay, what does the Bible say about how I respond to people who are mistreating me? We would come to that conclusion that says, oh, I'm to overcome evil with good. And so Scriptures consistently correct us and surprise us. When someone is angry with us, our first reaction tends not to be a soft answer. But when we pause to look at Scripture and think through, oh, how am I supposed to respond when a person's angry with me? Oh, a soft answer, right? The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, right? So we come across the teaching of Scripture and realize, oh, it does correct what is typically my gut reaction. And I think what happens is that we think we know the Bible, because we do to an extent, and so we don't consult it, right? We just kind of, kind of live our Christian lives and think, well, yeah, I mean, I heard a sermon on Sunday, and I read, a, maybe I've even read a passage this morning. So, I, you know, I've opened the Bible a lot. I've even read, I've, I've read all of it, I think, right? So we should be good. And so we kind of just make our decisions and do our thing and don't realize that in the details of our choices and responses, we're drifting from the instructions of Scripture. But when we take a scenario, open the Scriptures, search the Word of God for that scenario, what would God have me do here? We would be surprised sometimes, like, oh yeah, I didn't respond the way the Lord teaches me to respond. And that's a combination of, of blindness and ignorance and bias, personal bias in the midst of a scenario or whatever. But it's just amazing how helpful actually opening the Word and looking at it can be. Don't believe yourself <laughs> when you tell yourself, uh, I, I know the Scriptures, I think I got this. Right? I know what it says. Well, why don't we just open it up and look and make sure we're actually aligning with what God teaches in these scenarios. All right, so... Uh, briefly, I want to use the Sharon uh, scenario uh, to answer these three questions that you have on the screen. What does the Bible say? What are God's goals for change? What are the biblical methods for accomplishing uh, God's purposes? So those of you who have books, if you'd like to track along, the Sharon episode is back on page 86. If you do not, uh, I will read it aloud, and so you should be able to track along with us. Remember, listen for the answer. We're going to try to answer these three questions here. So I'll read. You can kind of listen for those things, and then we'll just have some, some feedback when I'm done. Sharon approached me after our Sunday service. She said that her marriage was a mess and that we needed to talk immediately. By the way, this is not our Sharon at all, Sharon. So I just, you know. He, I don't know why he picked that name. So I, Okay, all right. Let's clear the air here. I told her that it sounded too important to squeeze into a few minutes. I set a time to meet with Sharon and asked her to invite her husband. Sharon came alone and told her story emotionally and in great detail. She said that her husband, Ed, was unwilling to come. He told her that either she got her act together or he was out of here. Sharon told us of an increasingly tense relationship. She spoke of the fact that she and Ed were no longer sleeping in the same room or going anywhere together. They had separate bank accounts and recently had agreed that it was best to eat supper separately. Their two young children took turns eating with each parent. Even before their marriage, they had experienced problems in communication. Ed felt that Sharon was always trying to control him and his decisions. 
Sharon felt that Ed never really paid attention to her viewpoint unless she made it real clear. Yet Ed always said that Sharon was the most beautiful woman in the world, and Sharon said that Ed was the best thing that ever happened to her. Ed was a mover and shaker with an ever-expanding, important business, and Sharon enjoyed being with people that matter. Sharon had lived in foster homes all of her life, never truly knowing her real parents. Ed was raised in a typical working-class neighborhood in the city. Sharon said that Ed had been saying for years that she was slowly destroying his manhood. Sharon confessed to having two affairs during the marriage. She said that Ed was very angry and she appeared to be the same. Sharon made her agenda for counseling very clear when we first talked by saying, I'm not here to work on me. I think I'm okay. I'm here because my marriage is in trouble. Do you think you can get my husband to talk to you? He's the one who needs help. All right. You remember... Uh, not our Sharon, but that Sharon. Uh, so, as we consider the agenda for helping Sharon, let's start with question one. What does the Bible say about the information that, has gathered, that we've gathered there? So, we've just heard a lot of things about Sharon and Ed. Uh, how does Scripture speak into that? What comes to mind? Yes? Okay, so the children need to be raised in the fear of the Lord. Yep, good. Good. What else? Do not commit adultery, right? Good. Okay, all have sinned, right? Good. Uh-huh, good. So peace is a goal. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, Jason. Good. Good. Excellent. All right, good input. So how would you put number two? What are God's goals for change? What are God's goals for change for this person in this situation? What do you think? What needs to change from God's perspective? Good. She can't control her. She needs to yield to God and God's uh, desires for her. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah. Good, good. Soft answers. Yep. Yes. Yep. Helping her to see the log in her own eye. We know that's one of God's goals as well, right? Yeah, good. Good, good, yeah, yeah, to preserve the marriage, fight for peace in the marriage, right, good, 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 yeah, so not just getting rid of the anger, but doing it in a timely fashion as well, yeah, good, yeah, Ethan? You probably want her to know what love really is. Yes, to understand true love, yeah, his love, right, God's love for her, yeah, right, excellent, what are, number three, what are the biblical methods for accomplishing God's goals for change. Some of these we've already mentioned already in the verses you've brought up. Some very practical things to, for taking steps towards change. Soft answer, for instance. Um, any others that come to mind? Number three. Yeah, Ashley. Uh-huh, good. Accountability, right? Yeah, Maria. Yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, counting the trials joy, right? Not being surprised by those trials they're going through, but looking for the looking for the teaching of God through that time. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. Great input. You're on the right track. Well done. All right. Let's continue on. Uh, so that's sort of using Scripture to help us see what are the goals. How does Scripture te- speak to the goals? How does Scripture speak to the things that need to change along the way and the practical ideas for making those changes? And Scripture just tends to have a lot to say. And you can see how pausing to reflect on that is helpful. 
right? Those things don't just, you know, that, th those won't be your immediate responses in conversation with them. And so it's okay to say, hey, we need to, let's take a break. This is, we had a good first session or second session. I need to talk a little, I need to think a little bit more and talk to the Lord. And I'll come back with some ideas of how we can step forward in this. Uh, because, you know, these are not, they don't just automatically come to mind. It takes some thought and some care. All right, number two, clarifying our responsibilities. Clarifying our responsibilities. This is basically the question, who is responsible for what? And he lists off three kinds of people. I thought these were kind of fun. Uh, I, I would step back and say maybe these aren't kinds of people, but rather tendencies that people have. Uh, because I don't know that we're ever permanently in one box or the other. Uh, you might do all three of these things uh, at any given point in time. Uh, but one is uh, irresponsibility. We, we, we can be irresponsible. This is when we fail uh, to fulfill the responsibilities that God has called us to do. We're not doing what God has told us to do. Irresponsible would be the kind word. Disobedient might be the, the harsh word. Uh, or they're both true, so I don't know the harsh is, but anyway. Uh, the next one, overly responsible. Uh, we tend to take responsibility for things that God has not called us to take responsibility for or even enabled us to take responsibility for. So again, uh, overly responsible would be the uh, gentle way to say it. Controlling might be another word that we could use. Uh, in this category as well. We're trying to control everything around us, things that we've not even been made responsible for. And then finally, the third category is genuinely confused. And again, a gentle way of saying we kind of have it all backwards. Uh, and this is where we're doing sort of both at the same time, where I'm trying to control these things over here and I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. And he's... Uh, very uh, kind in this, recognizing that sometimes people are doing this without just being aware of it. It's not like they're intentionally doing it. They're just confused about what their job is and what is the Lord's job. So he has a helpful chart. I did put that in the notes. It's in your books as well. And I want to spend a few moments looking at that. Uh, so you notice a few ovals here. This central oval is our responsibility. These are the things that God has told us to do. And they're often connected to our identity in Christ. So there are a number of things that because I am in Christ, I am called to do. Uh, because I'm in Christ, I am to love others as He loved me. That's just an example. Now, there are other aspects of our identity. That's the most important one, but there are other aspects of our identity. A person might be a husband. There are things that he's called to do because he's a husband. A person might be an employee. There are instructions in Scripture for employees, right? So uh, we're taking our identity, our roles in life, and understanding what has God told me I need to be doing. These are my tasks. We're responsible for them. This outer circle are things that might concern us, but are not my responsibility. So I might care very much about the spiritual well-being of my spouse, but that's not my responsibility, right? Can I help? Can I pray? Can I encourage? Yes. But how my spouse responds to God is not my responsibility. Do you understand? So it's a concern. It's a thing I care about, but it's not my responsibility. 
And so with those things, we have to trust the Lord with those things. We can't try to control the things that are not ours to control. And there's a lot of things that we do not have control of, right? Very many things fall into this outer category, things that we care about, but we are not in control of. We must trust the Lord. So these arrows represent a few things that can happen. For the overly responsible, we try to expand this inner circle and stretch it out as far as we can so that more and more things are falling into my purview, my control, my responsibility. And this can be actually extremely discouraging and can lead to despair because God did not make us to control everything. We just can't. We're humans with limits, right? Uh, How many of you have more than 24 hours in a day? Anybody? Okay. I've been working on that one for a long time, uh, and I just can't do it, right? Who needs sleep at night, right? Okay, God made us with limits, right? He made us with limits. And part of that is to teach us to depend on Him, that we are not in control of all things. So the goal is not to expand this inner circle. The goal is to draw that inner circle exactly where God draws it, right? He's made that clear in His Word. It's not to be bigger or smaller than God has made it. Now, this outer circle, again, will we'll grow and diminish, you know, depending on who's in our life and our relationships, our responsibilities, but it doesn't change how we respond to those things. We are to entrust them to God, to trust the Lord uh, with these categories of life. All right, so that chart is helpful. Now, a few more comments uh, to make about this. Um, Let's see here. Thinking a little further about some of the ways we respond, the uh, overly responsible he calls mini-messiahs. Those are the ones with too large of an inner oval. Uh, We maybe unintentionally view ourselves as the Savior, right? So that's what he calls it, mini-messiah. We're just trying to save everybody and fix everything. And uh, so we try to have our hands in everybody's business and, uh, and, and, and make everything better. But there are a couple problems with this. First of all, it leads to discouragement, frustration, and failure. We just can't. The other thing that tends to happen is that behind the scenes, as we're trying to do all these things outside of our oval, inevitably in our limitedness, the things inside our oval are being ignored and not getting done. All right, so we're, being, we're not being responsible with the things that God has given us to do. So here's a helpful illustration. Alicia is concerned about her teenage son who is rebellious, unkind, and selfish. He's missing more school than he is attending. Alicia has told her friends that her goal is to turn Matt into a responsible Christian human being if it's the last thing I do. This is the goal of a mini-messiah, right? Uh, if it, you know, I will make this happen. Well, don't have control of that, right? We have to trust the Lord with that and be faithful to do what He has called you to do. The next one, again, digging down into this, attempting to give back to God what He has called us to do. We call this irresponsible. Uh, another term He uses in this section is the, the waiters. We're waiting on God to make the first move, waiting on God to do His part, then I'll do my part. Uh, so there are a couple negative results here. We waste time and even prayer if we wait for God to do something that He has assigned us to do. 
you could use the illustration of, um, you know, God promised to meet all my needs. So I'm going to sit in my armchair until somehow God provides food for me, a sandwich for me, right? Uh, I'll sit in my armchair. And uh, what will happen to that person? Well, he will eventually starve, right? Well, did God fail to provide? Did God fail to keep His promises? No, because He's missing out on the instructions of Scripture, which say, ah, we are to work with our hands and do what is good. And, oh, who knew? There was some bread in the pantry and some lunch meat in the fridge. You could have just gotten up and made a sandwich, right? So we have responsibilities, and God works His provision, aligning up with our labors, and this is how our needs are met. Uh, And so, again, we can sometimes... Uh, put too much on God and not take responsibility for what He's called us to do. Sam is an example. He has a broken relationship with Joe because of unkind things that Sam said to him in public. Sam says he has dealt with it in his heart and is now waiting for God to restore the relationship. His inner oval is too small, right? Now, God can restore the relationship, but... After dealing with it in his heart, Sam has another responsibility from God, doesn't he? To go to the other person and to reconcile. So again, uh, we can sort of blame things on God, when, and, and what it is is we're not taking responsibility. So the balance is trust and obey. Trust and obey. So you can open to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is one example of a situation in life, uh, and you'll notice as we go through Romans chapter 12, it's relational conflict, um, where we see this combination. There are some things that we have to entrust to God. I, I just have to trust Him. He, this is His thing. He's going to care for this. It's not mine. There are other things in life that I am to obey, and it's an, actually an act of faith in God to take him at his word, and to do what he's called me to do. So that's that beautiful combination of trusting the Lord for his things and obeying in my categories. So here's what I want you to listen for as I read these verses. I'll read 14 through 21. I want you to listen for the clues. What are God's responsibilities? What are the things that I am to just trust the Lord with? And what are our responsibilities? What are the things that I'm to do? Okay, so see if you can catch those. We'll try to just say them out loud when we're all done here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." All right, so what did you notice? Uh, What are our responsibilities and what are we to trust God to do? And feel free to just shout them out as you come across them or see them. Yeah, the coals of fire on the head, there's a couple ways to interpret that. 
the, there are t the two views that seem most likely to me is that uh, the coals of fire are a form of, of judgment from God, and so it helps the person see that what they're doing is wrong. Uh, another view is that it pricks their conscience and they feel guilty over what they've done and they want to make it right. And so, again, there's two views. We won't go much further into those tonight, but the idea is that we are to do what is right, which actually brings up a good answer to the question, even in that illustration, what's our responsibility and what are we to trust God with? Or anything else. You don't have to just answer that one, but... What's that? Yeah, so our responsibility is do the kind things. Feed and, and, and give a drink if he's thirsty, right? Good. What else? Tons of answers here, so got to get them going. Bless and rejoice. Good. Our responsibilities, right? Those are, yeah. Okay, so there's one we're to trust God with. Vengeance. It's His, right? Good. The peaceably with all. Good. Yes. Yes. Well, that's a good question. So we have to remember whose mind it is. And this is an illustration used a lot in Scripture. It's the mind of Christ. And so we actually can be unified having the mind of Christ. Good question. What else? Don't be proud. Don't be proud. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, good. Yeah, there are a lot of potential reactions here. And so good instructions on how to react and uh, how not to react. Yeah. I pursue peace and trust the Lord with the stuff that's not, on, not my responsibility. Right, good. That's right. Do it. Just keep doing what is right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, anyone, right, right. Excellent. Good. We could probably go on, uh, but you're getting the picture, right? There are things in life that are clearly my responsibility. What we tend to do is, uh, you know, you, you read all the things we just read. My tendency, my heart, the first one my heart goes to is vengeance, right? That's the one I want to do, and that's the one that's God's, right? So I'm just, it's just crazy to me how often my heart wants to get these backwards. I ignore the 20 other instructions that I have in these verses, and I land on the one that's only God's responsibility, right? It was just, I'm a very backwards person. But by God's grace, we open the scriptures and he helps us. Oh, here's 20 things that would be helpful for me to do so I can trust the Lord uh, to have vengeance in his time. He is in charge and in control. Good. All right. I think you get the idea. So the big question is this. Do you minister to others with a clear sense of biblical direction and help them clarify their responsibilities before God? And the two blanks are trust and obey. If those of you are trying to fill your blanks in there I, on, the, on the last screen, trust and obey. So hopefully you got those. Um, so we have to be clear what our responsibilities are and am I helping this person uh, fulfill their responsibilities before God? We're out of time, so I won't read through all of the CPR lists there. Uh, that is a helpful way to review the lesson, uh, to go through what, is, what are the overarching concepts, how does it apply to me, how does it apply to others, so I encourage you to look at those at some point. And then again, we'll, Lord willing, go over the homework uh, next week as we cover the second half of the due chapter. So thank you for your good attention uh, tonight. You are dismissed.
Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.